I really had to see it Horace about an innocent man in your book. You know, if I was on sale, I'd be a bargain. You, did you hear what he said? The best of Vance Fadden were only 60 cents. The best was only 60 cents, so I the rest of myself. <laughs> I got to see Horace. <laughs> <laughs> There's a little verse you've read him sure many times over in Mark. 135. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. You have observed three things about this. Our Lord took time for it. He found a place for it. And he had a purpose for it. A great while before day, he took time. Found a place, a solitary place, and then the purpose of prayer. I want to read a few verses that are scattered about in the Gospels, uh, indicating that our Lord spent a lot of time alone in quiet places. Matthew 14, 13, and 23. When Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by fifth into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, and followed him on foot out of the city. And when he had sent the multitude away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. Mark 6, 31. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. Luke 4.42, and when it was day, he departed, went into a desert place. And the people saw him and came unto him and stayed him that he should not depart from them. Luke 6.12, and it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Luke 9.10, and the apostles, when they were returned, told him all that they had done. And he took them and went aside privately into a desert place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. I know that uh, some of them refer to the same thing, but uh, it's interesting how it's reiterated again and again in the gospel. Jesus was an outdoor preacher. He knew about boats and fishing and flowers and wind and weather and solitary places and growing grain and sunsets and sheep, sparrows, the humble life of simple people. I'm glad he never set up an office in Rome or Athens or Alexandria or even Jerusalem. Spent his days in a tiny little Roman province, never went abroad. He was a country preacher, and he traveled at a slow gait. And in this bedlam today, with its heart attacks and its nervous breakdowns, and uh, with people living on pet pills and tranquilizers, we desperately need to learn to live. At his temple, I call it the gate, G-A-I-T, gate of Galilee. I grew up in the Carolina Hills, a country boy, in peaceful years just before World War I. I know, I remember when that war started. If you ever have time for it, go back and check. America's never been the same since 1914. 
I used to read the Literary Digest. Some of you old folks remember the Literary Digest. Sometimes I go to libraries now and ask them to get me out some back copies from the year 1910 to the year 1914. They'll do it for you. They have them in reserve. And I just bask in that. I can sit for hours because it's fascinating. The advertisements, for instance, are amazing. The ladies' clothes and the automobiles and all like that. It's, it's quite a treat. And uh, then you discover that when you get into about the middle of the 19 and 14 when the war started, then everything went curfluey, and it's been that way ever since. Because we never got over it. And back in those days, those farmers of my boyhood, among the red hills and cotton, lived close to elemental things. They saw sunrise and sunset and the pageant of the seasons. They uh, spent their time out among the basic things of life. And when life was over, we buried them in another country church graveyards. In the summer, they had revivals. And uh, you were invited out to eat dinner, not lunch. I mean dinner in the middle of the day. That's what they called it then. Supper was evening. I still say it. Can't break myself. Oh, and I. When I think, I try to be real up-to-date and fastidious and talk about lunch and dinner. But I was raised on dinner and supper. <laughs> and uh, they always had the revival in the lull. They called it laying by time between springtime and harvest. They met at the morning service. And uh, very often, uh, my dad would invite somebody home with us for dinner. And we'd sit on the front porch and talk all afternoon when we were eating watermelon. And my father kept the preachers and uh, loved to sit up late at night talking. We had time to live and to talk back then. Today, up and down that same country road, new houses stand, but they don't farm anymore, those people. They're commuters. They all work in town. And they just live out there. And the trucks roll up and down through the hills. And even the preachers hurry about on their way from Dan to Beersheba. And if Jesus could come to Bethany today to visit Mary and Martha, they'd be out. <laughs> they wouldn't be home. And if you told them home, they'd never turn TV off long enough. Hear what he had to say, I'm afraid. Pastors tell me that's their experience, anyhow. I was down in a little South Carolina town in a meeting, and, a, and one of the well-to-do members of the church had me over for dinner in his lovely home on the banks of the river. But he'd grown up out there. He loved that country. Said I went over to the next town not long ago and saw an old-fashioned southern gentleman there. I knew he was of the old school the minute I laid eyes on him. He asked me, where are you from? I said, well, I'm from Clinton over here. Oh, he said, next town. Well, said, I used to go over there a lot. Said, back in the horse and buggy days, he used to drive over. Said, it took me all day to go and come, so I didn't go down 30 minutes, but I don't have time. <laughs> <laughs> See what I mean? <laughs> when it took him all day, he had time. <laughs> now, you can figure that one out. That's where we are today. Uh, the journey is too great for us, you know. God said to Elijah, it's too great for most folks. I don't know sometimes whether I'm 
abounding in the work of the Lord or just bounding in the work of the Lord. Now, from here to Birmingham, Huntsville, and Greenville, and Louisiana, and uh, Missouri, and all around. And, uh, I hope the Lord will forgive me for so much of this bouncing around. I think Bible conference and traveling preachers ought to have as their life motto, Jeremiah 2.36, Why gettest thou about so much? <laughs> That's a good one. Christian life's not a glorified saint by the states. The Lord wants us to be willing disciples and not whirling dervishes. As so many of them. The Lord's not interested in quantity production. That's not a Bible standard. That's an American standard. We'd do more if we did less. <laughs> I heard of a little girl who's supposed to be practicing her music lesson. Everything's mighty quiet. And that mother said, what's going on? She said, I'm practicing the rests. <laughs> All the rest is lower. She was practicing. I know some saints that are doing that the wrong way. They're practicing the rest. They're not doing much for the Lord. But there's a time when we do need a place for the rest. Old Bishop Taylor Smith used to pray to be saved from the barrenness of a busy life. That's a great prayer. The Bible has about as much to say about resting as it does about working. Come ye apart. I just read it to you. And rest a while. I tell folks if they don't come apart, they will come apart. They'll go to pieces. Then some folks say, well, the devil never takes a vacation. I'm not following the devil. I'm following the Lord. Yeah. And the Lord got up to look right. You can't show me a place in the Gospels where Jesus was ever in a hurry. Now he was busy. If you can't show me a place where he was tearing around, puffing and blowing, trying to get to the next place. It was the gate of Galilee. Old John Wesley said, I don't have time to be in a hurry. That's well said. He, my Lord said, are there not twelve hours in the day? There's always time enough to do what God wants you to do. God wouldn't give you more to do than he gave you time to do that. That doesn't make sense. There's always enough of everything that you need, time included, to do all that God wants you to do as long as God wants you to do. Now that'll include health, money, everything. I had to learn that some years ago. There'll always be enough if I'm in the will of God. There'll always be enough of everything to do all God wants me to do. Long as He wants me to do. That old song says, take time to be holy, and that's one thing it takes. It takes time. You could get alone without that uh, a little hand on your watch down there in that little circle that goes around. You, if it stops, you should make out. You could, in a pinch, manage without the minute hand. But you'd have a rough time without that old slow, pokey hour hand. That's the one that shows you what time day it really is. And sometimes the slow things are the most important. It takes time for cream to rise. <coughs> and uh, somebody says, idleness is the devil's workshop. Well, it is, but so is busyness. B-U-S-Y. Any devil is busyness. My first church was a country pastor in Eastern North Carolina. I wrote my first little book by the still Waters. Some of them are out of print, but it's still selling. That's the amazing thing. It's still in demand. I wonder sometimes whether I've ever eaten anything in the back. Out there in the country, in the potato country, just below Norfolk, and uh, eastern North Carolina, Pascatank County. Pascatank, they used to say where the bullfrogs jumped from bank to bank. Pascatank. Well, 
Uh, I had a farmer friend there by the name of John Bradley. I've written a number of things about John Brown. John had no education. He never could make much money. But he had time to think. And he was one of the most discerning men that I've ever known. He met me when I first came there to take that little church. And as we rode in his Ford across the country miles, he said to me, I'm a man of leisure. He didn't mean that he was wealthy and couldn't afford it. He just meant that in spite of everything, he took his time. And he did. He's the slowest man ever saw in the life. Tomorrow, he ever made a living. Some neighbor passed by about one o'clock at night and saw a light out at the barn. They came out and thought maybe John was in trouble. Came up and said, John, can they have you? Yeah, he said, you can milk this other cow. But he took time to be still. And I learned a lot of things from John. I'd go over there, he'd be plowed, supposed to be plowing, and I was supposed to be busy. We'd start talking, talk till sunset drove us in. And then I'd go back the next morning, he never said good morning, just took up where we left off. <laughs> and John Brown taught me a lot. His boys had made money in the fruit business. They moved up to California and got in big business all that, and they owned the place in wonderful orchards all over. Pop, poor John was trying to make a little money out of potatoes. Well, he didn't know much about that, but the only time that he ever got in a hurry was the day that he died. War came on, he got to make a little more money, and his income tax never had paid that before, and he went over to town, and he'd forgotten papers, and he came back to get the papers, and he was in a hurry. The only time I ever heard of him being in a hurry. And he backed out that little pickup truck into the path of the big truck on the highway, and that was the end of John Brown. But John had time, and I have never seen anybody since that had that much time. He'd come to my room and sit till midnight. We talked about the things of God. Well, people say yes, but you can't sell sunrises and so forth on the market. Yeah, but you can't buy them either on the market. And what profit? What shall it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his soul? One civilization after another has started in hardship, and then it got rich and rotten, and became the victim of its own devices. And America is no exception. We're the prisoners of our own inventions and enslaved by these very gadgets that were meant to set us free. We've got more leisure now than we ever had. You want to have your five-day week and your less hours to work, and yet people don't know what to do with the leisure when they have it. Look at the average individual when he does have a day off. He doesn't know what to do with it. The other day they had some experts together how, how and they discussed this Subject, how to do nothing in a constructive manner. <laughs> Most folks don't even do something in a constructive manner. Now we've got experts sitting around up at Washington studying what to do with all this leisure. Now that we've got it on our hands, who knows what to do? I was walking through the woods the other day listening to the birds in springtime, and here came a teenager through the woods, had a transistor radio and rock music enough to drive every bird out of the whole neighborhood. I said, Lord, help us with all this music going around. And all of Well, if you haven't learned how to be still, hear the voice of God, you haven't learned to live. Most of us grew up in the country and we moved to town. 
We paid the price of moving from a rural to an urban civilization, and we're beset with all that distempers that come living in these towers of Babel. I believe many of the ills of today would disappear, nervous and mental conditions, if people could only be still. But solitude's almost impossible. Why, to be alone for a day would drive the average individual to distraction. I, I think the average American can imagine nothing more terrible than a rainy afternoon with television out of order. <laughs> I think that would be disaster for the average American. Can't endure their own company. Billy Graham says we have the highest per capita rate of boredom of any nation on the face of the earth. And yet America's got more entertainment than any nation on the face of the earth. It's the highest paid business just about in the country. We don't know how to be still. I get out of here, I get up at 5.30 over here and take off at 6 over to the highway and make that circuit every morning because there's no traffic, no automobiles out early, nothing but the rabbits scampering across the road and the birds on both sides, plenty of them too. Now, most people don't know but two or three birds. Oh, the music is, is marvelous over there, but I go to Bible conferences all over America and I have met very few people just walking Strolling, thinking. Some time ago, a policeman followed a fellow for some time. Afraid he was up to something. Just strolling around, thinking. The policeman hadn't seen anybody do that in so long, and he thought it'd be worth checking. Walking is my only un-American activity. <laughs> Why, you see a fellow out walking along the road today, you figure he's either catched in the head or out of gas. One of the two. You can't <laughs> Now, this thing can't be remedied by occasional vacation. Although that helps, I tell preachers that God won't take care of it alone, although there's nothing wrong with that in this place. Exercise is not enough. There is no place today for meditation and reflection. And I'm not even talking about prayer right now. My Lord meditated. He reflected. Some time ago, a nervous patient was advised by his doctor to get the books of John Burroughs, the great naturalist, who lived in the Catskills. When I was riding through there some years ago, I found his old cabin, Slab Sides, where he wrote many of his nature pieces. He was a great friend of Theodore Roosevelt, who would come up there and spend weekends with him. And this doctor said, get some of his books. I have a great many of them myself. Nobody knew John Burroughs today. But he knew the birds and all the glorious pageantry of nature. And I tell the preachers that every preacher ought to find a patch of woods or a lake somewhere far from the maddening crowds ignoble strife. Never let the church know where it is. That is ruin it. No telephone. It's been said that the preacher who is available all the time is not worth anything when he is available. <laughs> I don't think anybody ought to be available all the time. I think we ought to get away from it once in a while. The other day, I got a letter from a preacher that I've known for years and years since he was a boy. He said, Brother Hebner, it's been my intention to sit down and write to you so many things to do, and I'm too busy doing little things, to do some of the more important. I can hear your words over and over again to slow down. Let God have a chance to speak to us. I well know that I've neglected prayer and study, and it has cheated me out of being a better minister and pastor. I've tried to build too many buildings and fix too many things around these run-down places, then move off and do the same thing again. What I should do is settle down, take time to live with God for a while. Hey. That's an honest confession on the part of that preacher. Hey. He who waits on God lives in no time. 
Uh, Charles and Mary Beard are great historians, and they said that the South, the South has had uh, not only a military invasion, they called the Civil War the Second American Revolution. Because we were invaded in the South, not only militarily, but we were invaded industrially. Now you ride down through the South, and almost everywhere through the country, here's a great industrial plant somewhere. The place has become mechanized and uh, standardized and urbanized and paganized, and people are not awakened now by a rooster, they're awakened by a whistle. And it makes a lot of difference. Now they tell us you've got megalopolis coming, that are New York area, Chicago area, Los Angeles area, going to be just city halfway across the country. Megalopolis. They're sitting around in Washington wondering what to do about it. It's almost impossible to find a quiet place. Oh, I made up my mind that everywhere I go, I'm going to try to find a quiet spot, but you don't realize what a problem I'm up against today. I live in motels. Have to, my ministry. Motels are not built for pedestrians. They're built for motorists, and it's almost impossible to get away, find the quiet spot. I don't enjoy flying much. My wife enjoys it even less than I do. I haven't flown since we flew out to Los Angeles last spring. Had to. I think about that fellow who said the other day, said, I was up there and I got to thinking, what in this world is important enough to travel 600 miles an hour to get to? <laughs> he said, I just asked myself, what's, what's that important? I know you'll be laughed at by the go-go boys. The trouble with the go-go boys, they never get anywhere much in here. Mm. They haven't taken time. Old Will Rogers, there was a fellow who just stayed himself in his dying day. Will dared to be himself. And one time, he, during the Depression, when college professors were walking the streets looking for jobs. Will had plenty to do. He get along all right just being himself. One day he said to a friend, he said, I got to go, I ain't at yet. And the friend said, you mean I haven't eaten? Will said, well, I notice a lot of fellows who haven't eaten ain't at. <laughs> so, I think it's a good thing just to be yourself. I say all this this morning because uh, I take it that that's part of, I think that's part of the ministry of this, this place. I don't think enough's made of it. Now, I thank God for everybody that's been saved here, everybody that's been dedicated, and that's far more important, of course, you understand that. And preachers that have been rejuvenated, and all the good spiritual mountaintop things that have happened to people, but don't forget that a spot like this is a ministry in this very thing you're talking about. My dear brother sat with me at the table this last year or so ago and said, I, I wish I could stay a week. And you can be still and uh, know that God's not dead but still in action. I, I think that Sandy Cole has an unusual ministry because it's a rare combination of land and water here. I get to some Bible conferences that are hemmed in, hedged in. I can get out much and some of them, but this is part of the Christian's uh, experience to be still. And if you can't find time, make time. Jesus made time to get off and be alone for all. So, the man who takes time to settle things first with God 
He's already ahead of the game. I think of old John McNeil, that Scottish preacher. Some of his church members were fussing at him. They had sort of a, uh, some trouble in the church. On Sunday morning, old John McNeil came in. He'd had a session alone with God. John McNeil got up and said, John, he said, God Almighty and John McNeil have come to a settlement. You keep your hands off John McNeil. Tell you when a man settles things with God, not much you can do with God like that. He can go out into this world invincible, but he takes time. If the Son of God himself needed to take all night, when he was God himself, what about us poor souls that throw in a little prayer to once in a while and get me hurry? Just enough to barely get by. So I think this is an opportunity you have if you only have a day or so of it here to emulate our blessed Lord. Find time, find place, and have a purpose.